Hello, this is Gerd Leonhardt, futurist and author of Technology versus Humanity in Zurich, Switzerland. Uh, today, having a conversation with Peter Van, who is my uh, uh, contributor and curator for the content having to do with technology versus humanity. And we're talking about chapter four of my book, Tech versus Human.com, Tech vs. Human.com. And the chapter is on automation, the automation of societies. So, welcome, Peter. And uh, yeah. Good That's morning, Gert. Good morning. Um, I think this is a, at least it starts like that, like a, a fairly dark chapter, which is all about higher productivity, better margins, fewer jobs, technology taking the jobs, uh, middle class going away, future of work, and so on. Uh, the first quote that you make, or the first statement that you make, is that this subject will become a definitive technology versus humanity challenge. Mm -hmm. So the future of work is becoming a definite technology versus humanity challenge. Mm -hmm. why, why is that? I think what is apparent already now since the two years that this book has been written or two and a half years is that many uh, companies, especially large multinational corporations, are using technology to uh, try to reduce the headcount uh, in other words, whatever can be automated will be, and they're using that as a way of saying, well, maybe we need less people. Uh, and that is the prime objective, as some people have remarked about the Davos meeting, that the agenda is kind of like making work more human, but in the end, it's about reducing headcount because, you know, people are a pain, right? <laughs> you know, people are difficult and they cost money and they don't behave like you expected, and a, a bot won't do that. So, so if, a, if a bank can replace the... Uh, financial advisor with a, with a robo-advisor, uh, it can cover half of the work only, but that's that's a good saving. And so basically what we're looking at is an ongoing trend towards dehumanization, taking the human out, uh, replacing them with stupid bots or half-ready uh, half bots, <laughs> uh, and basically using the opportunity to reduce the number of people, which is, I think, a huge mistake and also... Uh, you know, we're at least 30 years away from that becoming anywhere close to humanly intelligent. Uh, why is it a huge mistake, Kurt? Because uh, when you dehumanize uh, in great consequence and you basically remove humans from the loop, for example, like restaurants that have a an iPad ordering system where there's no more waitress, you know, then you just hit a button and it goes in the kitchen and somebody comes out to bring the food, right? Mm -hmm. That's very good if you're looking to eat cheaply and, and effectively, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Or on a flat rate, like some sushi restaurants. But it reduces the experience of the eating mm -hmm. to a very large degree. And then the question is, how, how are you going to compete just on food and on speed? Mm -hmm. uh, or is it going to be about experience, contact? So I would say, argue that obviously there are many reasons why people would love these kind of restaurants if they are cheaper right? and still good. But then there are many others that would say, you know what, that's dehumanizing and it's, and, and it's not a good thing for what we want to do. Because uh, when you dehumanize too much, you become a commodity. And a commodity is always cheap. So then you have to what I call rehumanize, <laughs> which is to uh, create new context. Like Spotify is rehumanizing now, uh, creating human playlists and adding the human element back to it. Yes, all all this is from the the side of 
experiencing the offering. Um, but there is also the other side where it is really a humanity challenge is the people who don't have a job anymore. So if we read the Davos uh, papers, it's even going in the direction of reducing people at for 99%. So only 1% will work. What will the other 99% do? Is that not also part of the humanity challenge? Yeah, the challenge is that I think we, we come from a very traditional system of work and meaning. Uh, and for many men, you know, work is the purpose of life doesn't just make money it also makes sense right <laughs> uh and i think that's a little bit different for women but that's also changing so uh, part of the challenge here is that we have to uh, separate work from sense making uh, like for us you know our work makes sense but we don't sometimes make money with it right mm -hmm. uh and we have to separate those three things work and sense and money um and so my, i see a future quite clearly to where we may only work two hours a day to make money, you know, to be productive because the machines are doing all the heavy lifting and we just do the human lifting. Uh, and we still make lots of money with that. And then we do other things that just make sense, like, you know, uh, helping out in the kindergarten, writing a book, uh, uh, coming up with a movie plot or, or you know, whatever. Uh, and social jobs, for example, are also in that category, like having your grandmother live with you and things like that, you know? Um, so I'm not afraid that in the future we won't have work. I think we will not have routine. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a huge shift because it sets free all the people doing routine currently. Uh, however, that's temporary. So if you're a bookkeeper today and you're doing just, you know, stuffing receipts from left to the right and filing them away and getting ready for the tax return, you know, software like Zero. XERO in in, in uh, Kiviland, you know they yes. they will they will solve that problem, and so in two or three years you will find everywhere in the world that traditional bookkeeping, you know, putting receipts in the right place and making sense is gone, right? uh, and eventually five years is gone completely. So so it, it, we will not be training people to do this kind of work, accounting and bookkeeping, anytime soon. We will we will stop training them, and then we will not have more bookkeepers. But in the meantime, we have twenty million. Uh, and they're going to be out of some of their work. They have to reproposition themselves as using something like zero or whatever uh, to generate more value, which is not entirely easy because you have to uh, find a way to upgrade yourself. Or to lose your time, your valuable time, in things that are coming later in this chapter. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we're going to discuss in detail the five A's of automation etc so i'm coming back to that one mm -hmm. um so we have the experience side of consuming the offering like the, the restaurant experience and then the other side of people ending without jobs or work uh, as you call it mm -hmm. so what, what what is the role of public officials in, in this well, I think first we have to understand that it's neither doom nor gloom. It's not, it's not like Star Trek society versus dystopia or so, right? Uh, this is our choice of what we do with it. The main problem is that we, have, we will have enough money, we will have enough uh, abundance, we will have enough possibility to make it work for everyone, but we have to choose to make it work for everyone. Uh, 
Um, so if a society is abundant, because we have abundant medical, abundant transportation, abundant media, abundant energy, which is coming, right? Uh, then we have to say, well, if it's abundant, then we should distribute it to everyone. Uh, and currently we're not. The benefits of abundance of technology is not being distributed apart to those that make it. Right? Uh, and some lucky ones like us and, and maybe our clients in many ways. Yeah. But they have to be distributed to everyone. So if, if, uh, if a telecom company is going to automate 60, 70% of their telecom engineers, which they will, because this can be done by machines in many instances, right? And AI, then should they get to keep the money and just pay out a higher dividend and say, oh, great, you know, we, we fired a few million people as a result, or a call center, right? Well, I think there should be either uh, coerced and, and sort of, uh, uh, you know, pushed into creating new jobs, or they should pay an automation tax that goes into a fund that helps those people come around. Mm -hmm. Any public official who does not understand this need to become a future steward is losing the plot. Yeah, as you know, we, we have a huge challenge. There's the public officials, whether it's a mayor or a prime minister, uh, they're very busy with so many things that concern the present, but do they know the future? I mean, if, if the mayor of Zurich, where I live, does not know the future, how can they actually plan stuff like roads and airports that 10, 15 years out, you know, with any real understanding? And if they don't understand automation and what technology will do, how are they going to plan education? And how are they going to plan how, how much money they put where? So if you're looking at progressive cities like Lisbon, you know, where the mayor is really pushing a future agenda, or the prime minister even of, of Portugal is now sort of a future addict, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, or New Zealand, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 37-year-old, 39, I think by now, uh, prime minister. You know, talking about the future, this is something that we need to establish that every public official needs what I call a driver's license for the future. Mm. And I think they should pass a test. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, like just like they pass a test to be, you know, whatever MBA they have or whatever, yeah. uh, uh, you know, PhD or whatever. You know, they need to pass a future test to see. Okay, I get it because the future is not ten years; it's starting today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or they should get a test on what you have called uh, the five A's in this chapter. I, I have to say, I, I found this a quite heavy part. Uh, in, in, in this chapter. So please uh, walk me through it. There are five A's. I will read them for you. Automation, assentation, abdication, aggravation, and abomination. And I, I like the example that you use in the book of a SOCSEC bot, so social security bot. Mm -hmm. So let's Take that example and walk it through the five A's, how that evolves or unevolves, <laughs> degradates. degrades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, you know, it's been two and a half years since the book and, and a few things have changed in the logic of my thinking there. But Good. basically, this is meant to be the escalation of the issue. So you automate and then you assentate, which means you kind of keep quiet, you know, you don't say much and you just you let it happen. And then you abdicate, which means you, you basically say, oh, God, yeah, okay, if that's the way it is, then, you know, take it, right? Abdication means leaving the throne, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you, you basically say, okay, in that case, I, I, uh, I will recluse myself because it's better with the machine. 
and then you get aggravated because it has happening everywhere. You get angry, uh, and then five is the abomination, abomination, uh, to where you say basically, okay, this is really terrible. It's it's become a, a nightmare. That's the final step. <laughs> so, the way I think about this is that automation leads to us becoming, uh, say, uh, lazy about doing stuff ourselves. So, we automate our social media output and we don't know what is going to post when. And we kind of, yeah, we assentate, we keep quiet about it because it's kind of working, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we abdicate our responsibilities. So, we say, okay. But I didn't post it myself. It's just my my software posted it for me. Uh, and we we keep pushing the control further out. And the application is now everywhere. For example, a really funny ad um, a video by by Google that we looked at the other day, right? Where mm -hmm. where Google talks about the digital assistant. Right. Uh, right. That, that you let. Uh, we will post the link with the, with this podcast later. Yeah. But. Uh, so you let Google do all the thinking. You say, okay, Google, uh, you know, what's the nearest plumbing store and what's the best fit for my problem with my bathtub and here's an image and so on. If, if you think this true, it could lead to total application to where that external brain is everything. Uh, and and you, we just become totally lazy and we abdicate the throne, so to speak, of us being in charge and we kind of coast along. Right, and and that is part of this whole uh, thing, right? So the social security example is is a fictitious example of where we would let a software handle our social security. So well, it's not not that fictitious. I think in our latest uh, digital ethics newsletter, there was an example from Australia, mm -hmm. uh, where the system calculated an average income and based on that set or took away allowances uh, from from poor people and they had no way to react to that or to uh, complain about it at all. It was just the system saying, this is how it is. And even the government was taking their hands off it. And so I think Paul Shetler, who is who used to be their, the the chief digital officer of the Australian government, he said, mm -hmm. it, this is not a technology problem. This is a government ethics mm -hmm. problem. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So it, it is already happening what you describe as social security bot. And we are already in this stage of fourth stage of aggravation and abomination. <laughs> yes. Well, in many ways, you can, I mean, I would certainly welcome a system that would be less paper, uh, and more intelligent than what we have now in this whole, like I think the U.S. has something like 80,000 people working in social security administration, mm -hmm. right? And uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, clumsy processes, you know, not that it's necessarily their fault, but but it's hugely complicated. I think they're administering something like, I don't know, $300 trillion a year or something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So so this is obviously complicated, but but... I think the idea of saying that you can automate some of it and make it faster and less paper and have an intelligent um, uh, system, let's say intelligent assistance, cross-check and do those kind of things is quite useful. Right? I, I don't think we should have a black, black box system, however, uh, that says, okay, stuff it all in there and after the machine learning has gone through this, 
they have developed a superior AI, a pattern recognizer. Uh, and then, and then we are, we're just going to insert the name and off you go. Right? Uh, I think that is potentially quite dangerous, taking the human out of the equation. I think we should use that tool to make it faster, more efficient, maybe have less people. That is, of course, a consequence, right? Um, but also to make it more customer friendly. So we should, we should use it to make it positive rather than to create an abomination. Uh, going back to uh, what we discussed in the first part of uh, of this podcast, to what are people going to do if they don't have work anymore? Mm -hmm. So there is a risk that they will end up in in the most positive sense, what you call cruising and coasting along. Mm -hmm. But you describe it in your book uh, something that is almost zombie-like sleepwalking through digital life. So once they become addicted to the Google Assistant, taking away all those routine tasks, well, I think are that they not going to lose themselves in, a, in, a, in, a, in another reality, which is just not real? Well, this is, of course, where the parallel with the drugs come, come in. You know, we are in danger of forgetting ourselves because we're always doped up, so to speak, right? Um, and that's true for any drug. That is, you know, we we use it, but we feel like, you know, we don't always want to be lacking the clarity, right? So we don't use it that much. Uh, but but I think the technology, it's quite clear that we have to set limits to what is good and what the social contract says and what the government says that we need to do. Even if it's inefficient, we have to keep humans. Right? Even if it's wrong, we have to keep humans, is my opinion. Because sometimes, you know, this is part of the human process that we do wrong things. And if we were always doing the right things, you know, first of all, there's no such thing because it's extremely difficult to, for example, in social security, to have a hard and fast rule. And you have to be able to overwrite. You have to be able to make human sense out. You have to be able to create context, right? Um, so... I think that that is a huge challenge of, uh, you know, finding out where's the limit between those things. Automation is inevitable. It will come. It's not a bad thing. But if we automate work, then we also have to automate the response, which is when you're a victim of that process, you're going to get support. Uh, and that means in Europe, I think, basic income guarantee, definitely, sooner or later. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot more sense to have a basic income and have people do what they want to do than to have 50% of kids unemployed. Uh, so this is a question of the lesser evil, in my view. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot better to have that taken care of than to have a huge wave of social and, and uh, you know, crime and uh, things that will be a reaction on this issue. Right? Human flourishing. Uh, you put forward. We have discussed this in previous calls, but you you make a very nice uh, jump in this chapter of the book from human flourishing and whether automation will support that, what you just discussed. And then suddenly there is something called, it almost sounds like Intel insight, but mm -hmm. it's automation insight. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of, of I mean, the majority of that part in your chapter is about news, fake news, and so on. So I was intrigued why you suddenly made that jump from like consumer experience, like being in a restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly there was this huge topic of news, fake news, et cetera. 
Yeah, I think this is part of bad automation. You know, it's a, I think generally speaking, of course, automation is not a necessarily per se a bad thing. I mean, automating grunt work and drudgery and what some people call monkey work. Uh, I mean, that's a good thing, except for that if you're making your living from 100% monkey work, you know, so to speak, not to put it down, but if you're making a living with 100% of that, like uh, putting a little piece of equipment from left to right, you know, all day long in the factory, then of course it's bad for you. But but removing drudgery, I mean, God, I wish I could remove my own drudgery sometimes by saying, you know, why do I have to go and fact check this? I mean, can a machine not do this for me? and put together this graph why do i have to go and collect this that's that's monkey work right mm -hmm. i'm like a monkey trying to put this together and as quickly as possible machines can do that so that that is not a bad thing that's a good thing but if we derive value from this to a very large degree then we have to learn what it means to upscale our activity right? mm -hmm. um, and the reason i took the leap to social media and fake news is because automation of things that are are primary human assets it's a very bad idea so we have automated media huh? by using tags and hashtags and and uh right. and feeds and and ai uh, and uh, facebook is the the pinnacle of automation and it's become an abon abonimation right it's become a, a giant error <laughs> it's like it's like yeah it's interesting but it's not human and i don't give a damn if it's interesting if it's not human Mm -hmm. Because it, it, is, it is just sort of like, uh, as we were saying earlier, the, the quantity is more important than the quality, and the quality has to be human. Right? The, the quality of media is human, because uh, media is a human essence. You know, it's not something that is just information flow into our neocortex, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the same goes for dating, the same goes for relationships, the same goes for healthcare. You know, these aren't machines, these aren't algorithms, these are human functions that need not just automation to make an efficiency, they also need rehumanization. And I think if Facebook is clever, they will dramatically rehumanize, which is probably not possible. No. But, but they will put some very serious funds behind making it human again. Uh -huh. There are quite a lot of really good quotes uh, in, in this chapter from um, artists and scientists like Pablo Picasso's computers are useless they only can give you answers or Sherry Turkle which I think was about uh, getting back human relationships there's a nice quote there as well mm -hmm. um, that, well I think that those are good quotes except for of course that now technology has become so much more powerful even in the short time since I wrote this book and definitely since Sherry Turkle wrote her book or because of that matter, uh, was quoted saying this in the 60s, right? Okay. And, and now technology is capable of asking questions. Okay. Uh, and, and so I, mean, I think what we have to do is we have to say, okay, it is in theory possible for technology to do all the things that make us human, to learn that and to simulate them. The question is whether we want that mm -hmm. and whether we would have that as a goal and we would, whether we want the replacement of humans to be the goal of what we're inventing in science and technology. Yeah. Uh, as I jokingly say, sometimes, you know, the, the business of replacing humanity is probably the, business, the biggest business opportunity. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to make it a little bit more concrete, and you do that, uh, of, of course, in your book, you have listed a number of things that you think 
can, should be automated, and you have a number of things that you believe should definitely not. So if I look at uh, what can be automated or should be, there's things like bookkeeping, filing, diary management, appointments, meetings, routine tasks, but I was surprised to see airport security in that list. So I can imagine something, you as a frequent traveler, you want to get through the airport as fast as possible with mm -hmm. uh, as less as possible uh, checks of your passport, etc. So a lot of that can be done by uh, facial recognition. Well, I, I, yeah, I think airport security is a great example from my practical experience is, is that there's so many things we could be doing to pre-qualify and to, to pre-secure and to connect our belongings in such a way where they are already part of this secure system. The question is whether that would be uh, agreeable with our civil rights <laughs> uh, yeah. and stuff. You know, that really didn't seem possible back then, but now it does. So I would probably move that down. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> but at the same time, I think there's so many things that we could be doing with automating that. Uh, and, and that has been done, for example, by using the, the, the pre-approved lines and, and all that. I mean, if I'm, if I'm a, a person that is definitely not going to cause trouble in the airplane or have any criminal thoughts, I can probably prove that if I travel a lot mm -hmm. uh, to a very large degree. Of course, I could be going mad like the pilot of German, yes. German, German wings, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then I would still be bad, right? Um, so... However, I think that there's, a, there's really obvious things that we could automate that wouldn't hurt us, like you know, driving a car from the hotel to the airport uh, in a city that's not Rome or Beirut, you know, or, you know, I, I can just take one of those little sort of car trains, right? What's the big deal? Uh, it, driving isn't a, a human right, so it's okay. Right? Oh. So, oh, um so driving is not a human right. So what you're uh, suggesting is that we should not automate things that are human rights. Uh, human idiosyncrasies and human things that we need to be human, even if they are inefficient. And some people would say that driving belongs in that category, especially if they're from Germany. Right? Uh, that's kind of self-expression and fun that would get lost there, of course. Right. But, uh, there are things that we need to do as humans because there is a human process, like hiring and firing. Yeah, I highlighted that one as well. Yes. Right. Uh, and it's, yeah, we can use technology to say that this person is very busy on social media. But, but, but how many reasons uh, do you have for being busy on social media? It's, it's not a real indicator. That's like saying, you know, rated number one on TripAdvisor. Yeah, it can be very useful, but it can be completely bogus. It can also say, like, when was that? Two years ago before the change of management. Yeah. You know, so, so it's kind of like, okay, we should not automate things that make us, that go inside of a heart, right? Uh, that make us human as a consequence. For example, media is exactly in that category. You know, mm -hmm. media is not something that can be automated because you have to make a judgment. Mm -hmm. You've got to tell a story. You're influencing people. Right? This is a process. This is not just a dump of data. Right? So, giving, even giving birth, you mentioned in your book. Yeah, there's already quite a bit of science on this, you know, on what's called the exogenesis, mm -hmm. giving birth outside of your body. Yeah. You know, and then God, you know, I've heard people argue that this is a good thing because it's convenient. So a, a, a woman that, that is in business uh, could, could safely work until the last day. 
and and it would be her baby born in the in the uh, electronic womb. You know? I mean, what, kind of, what kind of argument is that? It's like I'm all for women working and doing all this, you know, the same that thing that we do. But to argue that this is not important to be inside of a womb, yeah. you know, that is truly madness. But well. that discussion exists. So I think we have to resist automation to at the point to where we feel like that's dehumanizing to us. And the government has to make that judgment call and saying, we should not automate, like, for example, we will not have an election because we can read everybody's mind, so to speak, using our data points, and then we can simulate the election, and, and that's good enough. No, it is not. Right? Not good enough, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and then, we, for example, we automate probation because we have a thousand hours of video of the prisoner in his cell. Right. Is that good enough? No, that's not good enough. We're talking about human lives here. Uh, yeah. uh, and it's also, even if it was good enough, you know, we need to get out of the black box to where it's important. The black box for driving, I agree, doesn't really matter. Uh, but the black box for dating, mm -hmm. you know, for, for uh, making human genome decisions, yeah, you're you're at the controls of the time machine, and you are wrapping up your chapter with a reference to the book, the Time Machine, from uh, A. G. Wells. Yeah, uh, I haven't read the book, so that part was a little bit uh, like cryptic for me. But you talk about the feral warlocks and the elite Eloy. Mm -hmm. Can you bring that back to, for example, the example of giving birth or hiring or firing people? How? that would work in your time machine or not work? Yeah, that's a tough one because you know, that, that part of it, I, it was kind of a brain fart, but, but um, I think really what I mean is when, when, we've, uh, when we fast forward into the future, let's say from today, and all these things have become possible, then the question is going to be for us not what is possible as a society or as, uh, as in terms of technology, but what do we actually want it to be? Because, you know, even five years ago, we were looking at these things and we're saying, well, is that possible to fire people based on an AI? On an AI? Okay. And it wasn't really, but now it's becoming possible. So the key question that's in the room, you know, going back to the time machine, is not whether it's feasible or because it, everything will be feasible, more or less everything. Right? Okay. Uh, then we have to decide why and who, and we have to agree on what we want. It's in essence your, I think it's your definition of digital ethics. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, technical feasibility was the overriding uh, riding factor until now. And of course, uh, monetization and profit, right? Yeah. Uh, and and that's, gone, that's not going to work here because the, uh, the definition of ethics is to do things, to not do things because they're not the right thing to do. Uh, and if we do everything that we can, we will end up doing many things that are not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and that could be detrimental. In fact, it could be existential. It will be existential for us not to do things that, that we can be doing. Mm. And it's hard to understand for us because so far we've been just happy that things work like, you know, the cloud or 5G eventually. I mean, we're, ha we're happy about that, but in the future, it's going to be about, yeah, it works, but right now is not the time to use it. Ah. Uh -huh. So just works is not good enough anymore. No, I think that's a 10-year time frame of where we clearly are going to sit here and say, yeah, it's plausible I could marry a robot and that would be extremely convenient. 
<laughs> you know, for 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 a limited mind at least. <laughs> and, but you know, is it a good thing if that becomes really like the default? And I would say, yeah, that's that's definitely not a good idea, and we should forego it, and we should try to prevent it as much as we can. Even though people always do what they want to do, or what they, I mean, that's, that's the drug issue, right? Yeah. So and it's also bridging going on in your next chapter, which we will discuss next week, which is about the internet of inhuman things. Right. That's so, yeah, week. I think this was a good conversation. Let's wrap up here. And if you want more details on the book, of course, is tech versus human, tech vs human.com. Hashtag is tech vs human on Twitter. Lots of stuff there. Uh, of course, the book is available now in 11 languages, including Italian, just came out last week published last week uh, and all that stuff can be ordered on Amazon as well. Uh, my website is futurewithgarrett.com and Peter Van on Twitter, right? Yes, Peter Van, Peter Van, yeah. Yeah, like Van, like the, like the vehicle. Yeah. Um, and our newsletter, of course, which we're now cranking out every week on this topic of digital ethics, which Gardner says is the number one topic for 2019. So, we feel greatly sanctified by Gardner. Just kidding. Uh, digitalethics.co is our newsletter. That's where you can sign up and get the latest stuff on this topic. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Peter. Yes, welcome, Gert. And we'll talk soon. And of course, you know, these podcasts are available on SoundCloud on on iTunes and of course on, uh, on Spotify. Spotify. Uh, just look for Gert Leonhardt and you can listen to it all day long for the next 40 years. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.